Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. I want to um, frame this discussion by, by uh, alluding to actually what caused us to have this topic, which you have called uh, the church more than a sermon. After tonight, I want to add more than a sermon and potluck. But anyway, um, uh, we were talking to a group of millennials at the turn of the year, uh, and millennial women who were interacting with us about their experience in the local church and talking about all the other places they get input. And we were all done. We had met with them for two hours. And when we were all done, we asked them, what two podcasts would you like for us to do that would be of interest to your demographic? And the first one was a podcast on infertility, which I told them immediately was a topic I would have never thought to do a podcast on, so I thanked them for that. And then the second one was, why should we go to church? And uh, which produced its own kind of post facto conversation after they raised it. And so we thought, that's actually a good question. I think that with the way in which institutions in general are viewed, and the way in which um, the church sometimes is, is viewed with suspicion in our larger culture, that's a very fair question to ask. And so my opening question to you gentlemen is, besides the fact that Jesus did talk about church, which is a minor detail, okay? <laughs> All right. So we can't just say Jesus. No, you just can't okay. just okay. say Jesus, okay? Because okay? I'm, I'm the Jesus going. guy, okay? okay? <laughs> All right. Um, but why should we go to church in general, and uh, and particularly the value of the local church? How do, how should we see the value of the local church? And I'll let you choose between. Well, the he's two. closer. He's closer. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Why why go to church? Why go to church? Why go to church? Um, and Jesus is not the sufficient answer, so Correct. I'll give a little bit more. Um, you know, it, it strikes me that one of the sort of succinct ways to capture um, what the church is about is the church is a liturgical community mm -hmm. of disciples on mission. That, that the church is a liturgical community, so we gather for worship. The word liturgy sometimes freaks people out. Yeah, just I was means... freaked out just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> but it just means the, the work of the people. It's okay. what, the, what the people do when they gather for worship. And so there is a sort of traditional form and order to that. But even if your church doesn't follow that traditional form and order, there is work that is done. There is some kind of form and order that, that is there. So every church, in a sense, has a liturgy. And at the heart of that is, at least I think, supposed to be our participation in the ordinances or the, the sacraments of the church. And um, my position on that is that these are actually means by which God nurtures and sustains us in grace as we participate in those and therefore ought to be things that we, that we look to, that we go to, that we participate in for our own spiritual nurture, growth. Um, a liturgical community that we are people who are to live together, not just gathering for a, a, a worship gathering, but actually really doing that much abused phrase, life together, life on life. Um, and, uh, but that liturgical community of disciples that are, that are continuing to grow and becoming more like Jesus 
and then joining Jesus in his mission in the world, a liturgical community of disciples on mission. Um, that um, I think it was Alan Hurst that I first heard say the idea, it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission has a church, mm-hmm. that, that God has a mission in the world. And he has called us as his people. He has swept us up into this grand mission that, that the church comes out of this way in which God is purposefully engaged in accomplishing his mission in the world. And then he invites us into participation in that mission. And so um, that's what it means to be a Christian, it seems to me, is that we would be people who identify with Christ and his body and participate in this liturgical community of disciples on mission. So you're the liturgical guy, huh? Well, we could talk about what I think that means. I mean, I'm, uh, in addition to my role at seminary, you know, I'm a teaching pastor at Irving Bible Church. And so our liturgy is very contemporary. I mean, we sing um, uh, mostly all very contemporary songs with the band and all that. So what liturgy looks like may not look exactly the way that that, what that word sort of conjures to mind. Um, and yet it's the recognition that it's what we do when we gather together that has some kind of form and that that, that form is for the purpose of forming us mm-hmm. as disciples to live on mission in the world. Michael. Yeah, I would say that um, the purpose of the church, and church means, the ecclesia means a, an assembly, a gathering. We come together as the church for particular activities in this, this liturgical gathering. Um, I would also reemphasize what he mentioned, the, the sacraments, baptism, of course, the, the initiation into the, the church, but this ongoing observance of Eucharistia, this giving of thanks, um, yes, the bread and the wine or grape juice, whatever the case may be, uh, <laughs> as the center, the thing around which our proclamation and our prayers centers, it's an embodied corporate experience. The other thing I would say that's very important is I absolutely do not believe you can grow spiritually in any meaningful, balanced way apart from the means God has given for spiritual growth, which is the community. The, the New Testament uses, Paul uses the, uh, the image of growth. This is an agricultural term for growing uh, spiritually several places, about nine times. Every single one of them is in the context of the corporate community. It's not... Sorry, it's not read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 as the Iwana song goes. It's gather together, <laughs> pray for one another, exhort, encourage one another, exercise your gifts for benefit of one another. And that is, if there is a key to spiritual growth, it is in the gathered community. Yes, with all of the, the aches and the pains and the hardships and frustrations, but also all of the joys and the, and the celebrations and the uh, encouragement and the... the the uplifting experiences that we have. It's, it's both of those things, and it always has been. Now, uh, this will be a seminary-specific question, because people who attend seminary attend chapel three out of four mm-hmm. days a week. Um, so they're gathering. They're doing life together, sort of here, etc. cetera. So um, why can't seminary substitute for the local church? <laughs> Seminary is not a church. I'm not your pastor. Okay? We're not your elders. 
Um, the this barbecue you had is not your Lord's Supper. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I just got done in my ecclesiology class this afternoon talking about you know what makes a local church a local church. What are the essential marks and works? The way I I describe it in orthodoxy, order, ordinances that is ordained leadership who are responsible for carrying out the ministry in the in the ordinances, the baptism, Lord's Supper. Um, so we may have a hopefully Dallas Seminary has orthodoxy covered. Um, but we don't have, uh, as our leadership, ordained um, elders, deacons established for the, the, um, the working out of that ministry. We are not um, regularly observing the, the sacraments of the church. Um, also, evangelism, edification, exaltation is how I break down the works of the church. We may be in a scattered way, training and, and preparing and, and attempting these things in various ways, but it's not the focus of Dallas Seminary to be an evangelistic or mission organization or a um, uh, building up the whole body of Christ. Um, and last time I checked, you didn't have to pay tuition at church. So, Ooh. but nor, nor were you uh, <laughs> actually eligible for scholarships either. So. How would that so work? So there's a lot of differences. So again, it's this whole question of how churchy can a parachurch organization be? Because that's really what we are. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we do some things uh, to help the church. That's the whole point, coming alongside and helping the church. But we don't replace, and definitely we are not trying to displace the church. Uh, so I'm a preacher, mm -hmm. and uh, when I first saw the title of our event tonight, church, colon. You thought you were out of a job. More, more, than, <laughs> no, more than a sermon. Uh -huh. I thought my job was to say, no, it's not more than a sermon. Of course, it's just a sermon. The yeah. sermon is what matters. So I was glad to find out I'm, we're not actually debating. And, okay. and I would say I just agree completely with, with what uh, Mike has said, that, uh, that there really is very much a sense in which while we get wonderful instruction, teaching, admonition that happens in the chapel. And, it, and, and we do experience rich um, community in, for example, spiritual formation groups. Um, that, that That is not the same as the local church. And we have a fundamentally deficient view of the local church if we see it merely as providing us with spiritual, religious goods and services that we consume. Perhaps there are other places where we can consume religious goods and services. You can download great sermons on your phone, and yet there's something very different about that than, than sitting week in and week out and being pastored mm -hmm. by the person who stands in front of you in the pulpit and, and proclaims God's word, and the ongoing life together in community, the, 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 the sacramental life of the church that's not something that we do, or at least not with any regularity around here. And I think um, that idea of, of mission, that part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is not just to be with Jesus and become like Jesus, but to join Jesus in his mission in the world. And while we may again have occasional opportunities uh, as a community here at DTS to engage in God's mission in some sort of one-off kinds of ways, um, part of our calling as believers is to, to participate in the mission of God through our participation in the local church. Now, that raises another question that I think is important, because usually when people assess church, they ask, um, what is the church doing for me? Hmm. Hmm. Is that the right question? Hmm. Hmm. 
It occurs to me that uh, that consumerism is the water we swim in, mm-hmm. um, and you know the the, the old uh, adage about culture. Um, it's like uh, when you ask someone about their culture, it's like asking a fish about the water it's swimming in, and, mm-hmm. and so we find ourselves surrounded by uh, this tendency to consumerism. Um, in fact, there's a wonderful essay by uh, um, Latin American theologian named Rene Padilla who talks about the idea that the culture of consumerism has formed and shaped our understanding of, of what it means to be human as though we are homo consumens, mm-hmm. right? The being that consumes. Mm-hmm. What can I get? Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the inward turn that comes with our fallenness and sin, but it's only exacerbated by the culture that we participate in. Um, and so we bring that formation with us into church and we become consumers of church. And yet... Um, the opposite is actually true of what we are supposed to be as humans. Mm-hmm. What the Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann says, we are to be homo adorans, mm-hmm. the being that adores, mm-hmm. that, that worships. And uh, what, a, what a fundamental kind of reorientation that happens in us as we are reinforced in that inward turn through participating in a consumer culture. So there are ways in which I think inevitably our experience of churches is impacted by consumerism, mm-hmm. but I think we have to be aware of um, that dynamic and, and, um, and fight against it to the degree that we There's can. There's any place where we are called to be countercultural, it's mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. just because this is what the world is. The problem, too, though, is um, a lot of churches and ministries... Uh, have positioned themselves to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we tell people not to be consumer Christians, but then we have producer churches that mm-hmm. are uh, marketing mm-hmm. it as it. So we have to keep in mind that this is part of our, especially uh, American, especially, I hate to say this, Southern Bible Belt church culture. Yeah, you're from, from Minnesota. Minnesota. I know. You know, we're lucky we have churches up there. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so, so it is just be aware that that's going on and um, it's not going to transfer necessarily out of this culture. Um, but yeah, it's, it isn't about you and telling people it's not about you and it's not, you know, it's interesting. You can tell people what it is and they'll all agree with you. You know, church is not a building, right? And then talk about, you know, changing the furnishings and changing the fixtures, and, and pretty soon you realize, well, in many people's minds, it is the building. You tell people it's not about you until you start taking things away that have nothing to do with the mission of the church, but is the reason they're actually showing up. And so this is a constant battle. You're going to be dealing with these questions of, um, you know, how do I actually embody Philippians 2 in the gathered congregation, not looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. It's, it's a constant challenge. I remember actually several years ago, there was a local news story and you were featured in it. They were asking about this very dynamic mm-hmm. at play in, in local churches here mm-hmm. in the Dallas area. And, uh, and I remember listening and, and hearing a, a, a church leader that um, when sort of posed with this question um, about using consumer strategies in the church, he said, well, why wouldn't we? We have the best product on the market. Mm-hmm. And there was just something inside of me that cried out, no. <laughs> and we package it better than our competitors across <laughs> <Right>. the street. <laughs> and, and so when we have reduced the gospel mm-hmm. to a consumer product, mm-hmm. um, as David Bosch says, we have truly made it the, the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I, I think it's pretty important and pretty core that one of the things that indicates good spiritual development is rather than thinking about what is happening to and for you, you're actually thinking about what you can do to and for others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so sometimes I think the way we even begin to evaluate church says more about where our heart is than perhaps we ought to contemplate. So, um, uh, but I will, I will leave that little <laughs> observation. Uh, let, me, let me ask you another question. I actually think this is an interesting one. This is the one that came from the group of women that we, hmm. that we interviewed besides, you know, why should we go? This is a little more penetrating, a little more focused. And it goes like this. Why should women go to church if they are able to receive more respect and use of their God-given gifts in a more influential way outside the church? Hmm. First, I think it's worth just acknowledging the tragedy of the question. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that that is their experience in the local church is tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it breaks my heart to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember actually, again, hearing um, in a, a discussion that you were a part of years ago when I was a student, um, that was a, a dawning realization to me that, that, that even if we believe that there are biblical limitations mm-hmm. on um, the, the role of women in, in leadership in the church, that that circle of limitations is very, very narrow mm-hmm. and that there is so much um, outside of that circle that, that, that um, women are not only... Uh, capable of but gifted for that God God makes no um, indication that there's any differentiation of distribution of of spiritual gifts among genders among men and women and so we have the women in our communities have received gifts from the spirit to be used for the edification of the body for the building up of the whole church um, both men and women and um, and so it's been part of my task, even as a professor here, to do everything that I can to try to really be an advocate advocate for, for my women students, as well as women that serve in very significant leadership roles within the life of our local church. I would say, too, part of it is already there is a built-in misunderstanding of what leadership and, mm. and membership of a church are supposed to be doing anyway. The Ephesians 4 talks about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The the bulk of the work of ministry, and that is doing the ministry, exercising gifts for the mutual benefit of one another, is to be the work of the membership. And so there is sometimes a conflation of, so even you may hold that um, only men are to be elders, um, men and women deacons, or whatever you whatever your view is, um, what about all the rest of the membership that is every one of them, male or female, young or old, are supposed to be involved in the work of the ministry? Um, that's it where the conversation needs to move, and so there needs to be some reform in, in that area. I would also, um, you know, I guess challenge some of the the traditional ways we understand leadership roles and ordination and how that works and um, I'm, I'm a very strong supporter for the, the ordination of women ministers in the, the deacon, deaconess office. Um, I teach that. I've taught that in class for 10 years and, and have written on it. So, um, but I do know that there are some traditions that, are, uh, that that sounds liberal 
even though as far as I can tell, it's the original view of the early church, mm-hmm. which would by definition be the most conservative <laughs> view. Uh, so challenging some of these presuppositions and pre-understandings, I think there's a place for that. Um, but I'm just gonna echo ditto everything Barry has just said. Let me ask you one other question, and that is, uh, how can pastors and ministry leaders best communicate the importance of church without it seeming self-serving? Say one more time. Okay. How can pastors and ministry leaders best communicate the importance of church without it seeming self-serving? Because obviously, better numbers make the pastor look good. (laughs) Yeah, we were actually talking about this a little bit in a pastoral conversation uh, just yesterday with our circle of leaders. I serve on the lead team at our church, and, uh, and we were talking about the way in which sometimes to, to even discuss growth just feels oogie, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just there's something mm-hmm. that, that, that feels wrong. And, and part of that is because there can be this sort of emphasis on growth for growth's sake. Uh, John Ortberg uh, brilliantly talks about the idea that every leader and every organization has a shadow mission. Um, Your shadow mission, he says, is your authentic mission hijacked by your ego and your wounds. Hmm. And every single one of us has a, a mission that can so easily be hijacked by our ego and our woundedness. But every organization has that as well. And... Sometimes I think Christian organizations can have a shadow mission that is sort of growth for growth's sake, um, growth because of what that then sort of demonstrates to the world about our importance or, I mean, all kinds of ways in which that can be a shadow. And yet, as, as we sort of reframe the conversation yesterday, wouldn't we want to say that we desperately want to expand our influence within our community? Mm-hmm. Um, for the sake of seeing people come to faith in Christ and seeing them built up in their faith, seeing them transformed into Christ-likeness. And, and that's something that we ought very much to desire. And so there's a, there's a sort of a, a narrow path, I think, that we have to try to walk in the way that we talk about that so that it doesn't become a shadow mission, so we don't just become that successful church because we have the numbers, but in fact that we're seeing the 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 influence of the church, the impact of the gospel spread more and more in our community. And the and people also have to make this transition that they're not going to church, they're not going for the sake of a pastor, mm-hmm. this abstract idea of church. They're going for the benefit of their brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathering at that same place, um, building up one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. That's why you're going. And why wouldn't you want to go for the benefit of one another if you have the love of the brethren? So um, you're not going for the pastor. You're not going for the church in this abstract sense. You're going for the assembly of believers, your brothers and sisters with names and faces. And so it, and just, again, the, the re-educating of what is the church itself and what is that supposed to look like. Now I'm going to turn to the student questions in there. Uh, they're, they're not going to be any softer oh than boy. the questions oh I was asking. Okay. Oh Here's the first one. I thought you were filtering these. <laughs> I, well, they, they are filtered, and uh. I, I'm just shocked at what might be left behind. Okay. <laughs> so, um, okay, here's one. Most of us in this room are giving and contributing to our church, not consuming, almost to our detriment. Hmm. But the church isn't enriching us spiritually. What would you say to that? 
I guess first I would ask what the what would that look like first? What is the expectation of what is a spiritual enrichment? Mm-hmm. Um, it might be legitimate. It might not be. It might be uh, the church itself is doesn't even know what it's supposed to be doing, which happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, spend a lot of time and energy on things that you know have nothing to do with the actual mission of the church. Um, but I but I have a hunch that that's a that is a frustration feeling that a lot of people have. I have that feeling sometimes when I go to church. You know, just what, what, am, I, what am I here for? What am, what am I accomplishing? Um, so I would encourage, you know, all, it's a being plugged in, going through those struggles, um, I think is in the long run going to contribute to a person's um, spiritual growth. Um, but I, I guess I would need some more follow-up. What concretely are they experiencing, and what what is the expectation? Yeah, there's an element of the question that causes me to ask a question in in reflecting on it, and that is, um, what what is it what is it that the church is not providing that makes it fail to be spiritually enriching? Mm-hmm. Is it something about the people in the mm-hmm. community? Because it seems to me if you give yourself to people and you relate to them, that the chances for spiritual enrichment. In, are enhanced, mm-hmm. but if you simply attend the churches for the services it performs mm-hmm. on your mm-hmm. behalf, mm-hmm. and whether it executes those services in a way that is meaningful and significant, then it, it has a chance of coming up short. So um, that might be an element in the question. There's a there's a very there's a variation on this question that goes like this, and I think it's I think these questions have their finger on something that that was the frustration we were feeling from the millennial women as well. In a culture where it is encouraged to identify ourselves individually and where community identity is frowned upon, how do we stress to millennials the importance of the community identity in the church? Mm -hmm. In other words, we're already swimming upstream when it comes to emphasizing the corporate versus the individual. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and perhaps this is a variation of a question I was thinking about asking earlier, which would go something like this. How do we, who, one day people who are training to be in church leadership actually help people to have the right expectations about what a church is and ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of it is, as, as perhaps overly simplistic as this might sound, is really helping people see more deeply um, the biblical vision for what it means to follow Christ, mm-hmm. the biblical yeah, vision yeah. for... Um, for the the spiritual life that we find on display in the Bible, that um, I, I'll never forget years ago um, when I was in my PhD program at the time, Doug Moo, mm-hmm. who's a fine New Testament scholar, was the chairman of the of the um, PhD program, and they had a cookout in their backyard hosting all of us in the PhD. And uh, at that time, Doug was at the, on the the chair of the committee that was overseeing the NIV translation of the Bible. And the most just, popular translation <laughs> ever produced. <laughs> and they had just come out with what they called the TNIV. At the time, it was called Today's the Even New more popular translation <laughs> ever produced. But I, I, we're sitting having barbecue in his backyard, and I said to Doug, I said, Doug, you know, I think it would change the way American Christians read their Bible if you came out with a different kind of TNIV. Mm-hmm. The Texas New International Version. <laughs> right? Because reading an English Bible, you come across the word you, uh-huh. and we think it's about me. Uh-huh. But a Greek reader would never make that mistake because two very different words. But mm-hmm. in Texas, we have a perfectly good way of distinguishing, right? There's you, and there's y'all. That's right. In Minnesota, we have you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. 
That's, lo that's too long. <laughs> <laughs> but if we actually read on the pages of the Bible all the places where we see that and we think it's about me and realize it's about us, it's not me and my God, but us and our God. And by the way, John Dyer, who's our um, director of, uh, of um, uh, communicational technology and, yeah. and communication, John put together a site called yallversion.com. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually go and see all the, all. All the places where all the y'all shows up. And I think you can actually And it's a lot, y'all. It. <laughs> it's a lot. That's right. And so the, the point of that, again, is just to say, I think if people actually saw the vision of what it means to live life with God that's on display in the page of the Bible, that we would see that there is so much more deeply a a communal relational dimension of that than I think we often um, hear and experience. Yeah, and at the root of it, of course, is the great commandment, mm. which is to love God with all your heart, mm. mind, soul, and strength, mm. and love your neighbors yourself. Yeah. So you're already in a highly relational mode to mm. start off with. Mm. Michael, you're good. Yeah, and, and I, we may disagree with this. There is a New Testament scholar sitting at the table. <laughs> um, but, but just one example, I'm not going to say this is the, the right view, but uh, the the being filled with the Spirit command. It's a passive imperative plural, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you, you know, we're constantly racking our brains of how do I, how am I filled with the Spirit? What do I need to do to yield or whatever? Um, it could be, though, in the context here, this idea that you're filled with the Spirit, y'all be filled with the Spirit, in the sense of as you are gathering together, exercising your gifts, the Spirit, it's more the, the, spirit indwelling the corporate body and it is a plural passive imperative show up gather together do the things you're supposed to be doing and the spirit is filling y'all the corporate idea so you know we we forget yes we are the our bodies are the temple of the holy spirit first corinthians 6 but don't forget first corinthians, first corinthians 3, 3 and ephesians 2 and all mm -hmm. these other passages where it's the church that is the temple of the holy spirit and so both of these things have to be true, but you find your identity. It is actually a myth that, that you can have an individual identity apart from the other, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the I and the thou. I mean, this is well established. Um, your identity is formed in community. And uh, socially, psychologically, you are gathering together. In the church, our identity in Christ is to be formed in community, the body of Christ. And so there's something, and, and I don't also want to deny that the mystical, this is the spirit indwelled corporate body there is something mysterious and supernatural going on there as well make yourself available make yourself available but in real relationships mm -hmm. i think the people who are most disappointed in their church experience are the ones who don't have an actual assembly experience assembly experience experience or they have an audience um, observation experience and for whatever reason there's a disconnect between the pastor the pastor might be a preacher but he's not a shepherd <laughs> um, or they don't have a shepherd or they don't have any of the one another's they don't have older men teaching the younger men older women teaching the younger women all of these dynamics that are really in place and if they were followed um, I think would create a different kind of experience in fashioning that identity that they're looking for you know another example of the type of thing that we're talking about is uh, talking about is uh, talking about is uh, prayer, mm -hmm. which I actually yeah. think is a poor name Mm. Okay, it's actually the disciples' prayer, 
and the apostrophe belongs after the s mm -hmm. um, because Our. we're all everything is in first person plural and we're praying for one another as we pray it it isn't a private prayer it's a corporate prayer mm -hmm. so everything about that shows what jesus values about gathering a group of disciples around himself in ministry and i would even say to that there's also a sense in which to pray that prayer mm -hmm. obligates us to one another mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the sense that to, to pray in earnest those words um, requires my willingness to be part of the way in which God answers that prayer. Mm -hmm. So to, to say it another way, if I'm praying for my teenage son, that God would help him to grow and to know him and to, to follow after him, and yet I'm not willing to actually be part of the way that God answers that prayer, I don't pray in earnest, mm -hmm. right? So too, for me to pray these words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and, and go through that prayer to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. um, and an unwillingness to actually yeah. be a part of the means by which God would actually answer that prayer, I don't think we pray in earnest. So there's some sense in which not only as we pray this prayer that we pray for one another, but that praying that prayer for one another mm -hmm. It obligates, obligates us. us. Yeah, mm -hmm. it becomes a mandate. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think these are uh, key themes. Let me, let me add, add a new question to the mix. While it seems well agreed upon that consumerism ought not to be an adjective of the church, is there not something significant and true in saying we ought to come to church to both receive, be built up, as well as to help build up others? Specifically, it seems that both motives are good and necessary. Would you agree? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I was waiting for him to answer. <laughs> yeah, I would agree, for sure. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, Christ-likeness is self-giving. I mean, if you look at the life of Christ, if you look at Philippians 2, it is... Um, it, the, the idea really is, if most, or forget it, if some, even, are coming together wholly sold out for the benefit of the other you are going to show up and, and receive in that context but that's the whole idea of the, of the spirit working through the community um, so as you are other centered you are going and obviously you're receiving yes the lord's supper the the eucharistic i mean you are receiving the bread and the the cup as if from the hand of christ himself and he is the one in, um, inviting you to the table Absolutely, there is that expectation. Um, the cup of blessing. Well, who's blessing? You know, it's a. So I think that there's this implication that there are um, blessings that you receive, uh, but that. I, I guess I'm more of the opinion that when I go to church, attend services, um, I have to remind myself to err on the side of the other. Don't look out for the for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I feel like that's the emphasis, probably because it is absolutely natural to look out for me, and impossible to look out for the other. It's a supernatural enablement that is necessary for agape kind of other-centered, self-sacrificial orientation. So I would say, put the pressure or put the emphasis on on the other-centeredness. Yeah, and I would just say absolutely as well. There is definitely some sense in which there's both giving and receiving. But even in that receiving, there's a place to recognize a very important distinction between a gift and a transaction. 
<laughs> and we are shaped by a world of transactions. And we are shaped to approach everything in life as a transaction. What must I give? What will it cost me? And what will I see, receive in return? And I think this is so much a part of our formation that it impacts the way we engage relationships. So what's a Ganesh and Chips? 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 So what's a Ganesh give up? But what am I gonna get back? And, and I'm not sure I really wanna give up anything if I don't know there's some guarantee on the other end that I'm gonna get something back. And the fact is that's just fundamentally not the way that spiritual disciplines work. Yeah, so showing up for, for receiving is fine as long as you're not going through a cost-benefit analysis. Right, and I, and I <laughs> right. think that's the thing is that we're so shaped to approach all of life through cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. And so when we, are, when we are looking at evaluating churches and, and we wind up being preoccupied with the question, What's in it for me? Is there things in it for me? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But our problem is not that, that we're receiving. Our problem is that we are preoccupied with receiving. Yeah. And so formation into Christ's likeness necessarily involves turning us out from ourselves to both the receiving and, and the giving, but not in a transactional sort of way. And Christ is inviting us, that he's inviting the thirsty and the hungry and yes. the weak. And so obviously this is the implication is he's going to fill those needs, right? So that's clearly a, a, a dimension to it. Yep. Okay, I'm going to go kind of a, I'm going to ask for a little bit of a rapid fire round oh here. Okay. okay, so we're going to keep them crisp because i got I a series of short questions. Yes. No, 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 yes no, 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 um, Paul talks about we, when are gathered together and I with you in spirit, you know, you, you have this official um, authority that, you know, one alone doesn't have. So there are, um, the, the, clearly, you're, you can't alone be the church. I am the church. Now, that's an absolutely nonsensical statement. Burn your t-shirt if yeah. you have one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen it. Yeah. So, we uh, are so clearly, if you look at the whole New Testament, what a church is, what, it, what constitutes a church, what it's supposed to be involved, cannot be just merely two or three gathered together. But that's where it has to start. Can't be anything less than that. Here's another one. Um, if I'm not getting anything out of my church, is it okay to leave and find a new one? Um, no. <laughs> Do you want a little more? Yeah. Um, you know, I, so I remember being at a church at one point in, in our marriage where I felt like I just I don't really like the preaching. And these are people that I wouldn't otherwise be with. And um, just, but what I realized was I was preoccupied with myself. And that as I actually increasingly tried to submit myself to that, that I actually found that there was enrichment there. That didn't mean I came to the place where I went from not liking his preaching to loving it or being different from these people to being the same as them. But actually part of what the growth involved was recognizing that I can experience deep community with people who are different than me. Mm -hmm. and. Duh, that's kind of the point that's in some the, yeah. sense, right? That, 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 we, that we find ourselves in rooms with people that we wouldn't otherwise be in the room with, but that's for our good. And I think that uh, the, the, this question strikes me as an interesting one because it 
reflects um, something that I think my wife and I learned when we went overseas, which is here you can get your church in just about any shape or form you want. I mean, it's you know it can be in and out church. I mean, you can. Uh, I want my you know I want my sermon with tacos. No, I want I want French cuisine. You know, I can get it any way I want it. Moment we went overseas, where you're talking about two or three percent of the population being believers. Um, two or three percent of the population attending a service on a Sunday. Uh, the only time the church was filled was at Christmas and Easter where they had triple services and the rest of the time you'd walk in on a Sunday and you might see 30 people and, and two-thirds of them or three-quarters of them looked like they were on Medicare. Mm. Um, you know, um, uh, all of a sudden you realized that in many communities around the world you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that the church, that if you're going to church, that's the church you're going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you adjust to that? Yeah. And there we have a couple of heroes to me in our church um, at Irving Bible Church, Buston and Jan Fanning. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Fanning was a, a faculty member here and still teaches here, retired, but still teaches. Um, and uh, they have been part of our church for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, I've been there for a decade, and I've seen all kinds of changes in 10 years. In 40 years, they have seen mission statements come and go, strategies come and go, theological convictions shift around, all kinds of changes that I don't think they always liked. Mm -hmm. But for four decades, they have been faithful Mm -hmm. in their commitment to this place. And we are better because of it. And I I think that they would say, and they are better because of it. in the New Testament, there's, there's a lot of images and metaphors for the church, and the, the predominant image is the family, the fact that they call each other brothers and sisters. This was not something that the Greco-Roman world did all the time. In fact, they were accused of incest because they did it. You know. So um, brother and sister, the family image, uh, the household of God image, I would say you take your church membership and church commitment as seriously as you would take a family commitment. Um, Are there situations in which for your own good, safety, whatever, health, you may need to withdraw from a family? Yes. Um, But that should be about as rare as you would withdraw from a church. It would take a lot for me to um, to leave a church. Um, look, I, I don't like most things that happen in most churches, frankly. Um, if they would just my, read your book. But it's my there. family. Yeah. But that's my family. Yeah. I don't like most things that happen in my nuclear family either. I mean, th- that's my family. My dad and mom, you know, irritate me, just like your dad and mommy. But they're my family, and uh, that's where my commitment lies. Okay. Um, what's the relationship between local church authority and parachurch ministries? Uh, let me say this. I, in my ecclesiology class, I have a, um, a good hour-long or two-hour lecture on uh, women in ministry and that whole issue and the different views on that. And then I have about an hour-long lecture on parachurch ministries. For some reason, it never fails. I get very little controversial you know, discussion on the women in ministry issue, but I get all kinds of people up at arms over my parachurch discussion. And it is a very sensitive issue because I think a lot of us came to the Lord and, and grew and found our calling in parachurch ministries, mission trips, um, maybe Young Life or some of these other groups, uh, Christian camps. 
and to say that, well, you know, that's a side show versus the real, the main event, which is the church. And then you come to church and it's dry and it's slow moving and these people, I don't even know them, I don't like them. Um, you just want to go back to young life, right? Mm. Let's be honest. And so it's a huge controversial issue. But I would say parachurch literally means coming alongside of the church and helping the church accomplish its, its mission and its vision ideally. It's not supposed to displace or replace. And I know my spiritual life has been enriched in all kinds of ways from all kinds of parachurch ministries. I mean, I, I've benefited um, from this parachurch ministry in very deep, profound kinds of ways. And I could go on and list an assortment of those that have impacted me. Um, part of where I find myself concerned, though, sometimes is the, the way in which the, we then wind up um, farming out aspects of the mission of the church to parachurch ministries, that, that, that we, um, uh, that now evangelism becomes something that really is, well, um, evangelistic association is, right. Does, these, right. Are, these, are, yeah. these ministries are, and it's not to say that there's not a sense in which those parachurch ministries are bearing witness to the church about what faithfulness in this area looks like, but what sometimes winds up happening is church leaders become quite content to let those parachurch ministries do that. Um, and miss the reality that evangelism, for example, is fundamentally a task of the church. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna try and parse the question here. I'm not sure I can entirely get the question. Yeah. So if I miss this, whoever wrote the question needs to speak up and help me formulate the question properly. I'm gonna read it to you as I've got it, and then I'm gonna try and translate it, and we'll see if that helps us. How do we, and I'm assuming that we here as church leaders, Balance the need to have our sermons outlined, in other words, good sermon preparation, so that people can check us out with our desire and necessity to be in church. In other words, is the danger of a pastorate that you are so committed to the task that you're asked to perform, particularly in speaking and teaching, that you actually don't pastor? Mm. Okay? Um, and uh, and then the next, the follow-up to question that comes off of that is, are we creating our own problem? Hmm. Okay, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. So, on first hearing the question, I thought it was one of my preaching students who had an outline due that says I can't go to church. <laughs> my and you made me come which, to this, which, which sometimes is a, a right. problem that right, we right. have to address. Um, but but the the way you frame the question is one that I feel personally quite mm -hmm. frequently. The time I spend studying and preparing a message is inevitably time that I don't spend mentoring students in my role here at the seminary or pastoring people mm -hmm. in our local church, being out in the community or being with my family. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those responsibilities are important and significant. Um, there is, I mean, it is a, a um, weighty task to stand in front of the people of God and speak to them on God's behalf. And to do that without thoroughly preparing to do so is um, foolish. 
Okay, let's um, do the backside because yeah, uh, the yeah. way you interpreted this question probably is another way to interpret it, <laughs> which is how do I deal between the task I have as a student and my involvement time it takes to be involved well, in church? I might have the interpretation Lincoln. here. I yep. need to probably help you with my question. Okay, <laughs> You're going to have an authorial intent. Right. And I think it's it rare. got lost in translation. I meant online. We're putting ah, okay, all right. In order for people new oh, to okay. the community, the website is the first contact of the church. And we put our sermons online to see what we're about. And are we then, you know, balancing having online presence with being in church and are Does, we creating our own problem? Right. Does the medium become the message, mm -hmm. right? This is, look, it, this is how you found us. This is how we're presenting ourselves. Therefore, this is clearly a legitimate option. Yeah. Well, we can be clear that that's not, right? We can be we cannot have an online only option, which some churches have done. I mean, it's thankfully it's a minority. Most people have the sense that merely attending an online campus is not in itself acceptable, except in the exceptions, right? People who are shut in and, and such, and people who, I mean, that's always been a great um, or people who are way traveling. And people are traveling, they're yeah. able to keep up. Yes, great. Mm -hmm. But we should communicate how that is supposed to be used make sure we're clear about that but that starts with the leadership actually having a uh, a good ecclesiology and, and an incarnational approach to ministry but very yeah well. I mean I, um, I feel very much the same way and it's a very real tension that we deal with in our church that that we do make our services available um, and it really is primarily for those people who, for whatever compelling reason, can't be there. But we try to make sure that we're continuing to tell this shouldn't be your normative experience of, of church or, or Sunday worship. You should be here. Um, and yet the reality is I, I spoke to a woman. She approached me um, at an event recently in downtown Dallas. I had no idea who she was. She came up and gave me a big hug. Oh, we love IBC so much. And so the more we talked, she said, now we haven't been there in a few months, but I, I watched the messages online and, and it, it really struck me that um, in our attempt to actually try to um, provide something for those for, who can't be there for a compelling reason, it's now become easier and easier uh, for them just not, not to show up. We refuse to call that an online right. campus and to make that sort of in any way communicate that that could be your normal church experience. I went to an online campus of a church one time just to check it out and pastor got into the end of the sermon and offered us a, a sinner's prayer and had everybody there, you know, raise their hand. And there's literally an icon next to a, a, a version of the sinner's prayer that I could click on if I wanted to pray the sinner's prayer. And, and I just kind of remember thinking like, is there going to be an icon for me of, of bread and, and of wine? You know, <laughs> to, to, to like um, no, serve yourself. Yeah. And, and, and at your funeral, they're going to say you were uploaded into the cloud. <laughs> the next thing. And, you know, but I think we find ourselves increasingly where we find a kind of a, a docetic spirituality, yeah, right? right? Docetism, this heresy about Jesus, Jesus only seemed to have a body because he mm -hmm. couldn't actually have a body and, and be God. And the church called that heresy. Well, we're experiencing a different kind of docetism that sort of almost says we only seem to have a body. So much of our experience in life and our relationships are, are mediated. And so then our, our, our experience of church becomes mediated and, and we just... Um, 
suck the life out of it in that mm-hmm. sense. That that just as um, connectivity is a terrible um, uh, replacement for real community because actually that connectivity only leads us further towards isolation. Mm-hmm. If you see the way that it actually plays out. Um, so too, this um, experience of church mediated entirely through technology is a, a pseudo experience of what the church is called to be. Okay, I've got time for a couple more questions. I'm going to go for this and see if we can put these two together. Um, this one's for Dr. Spiegel. So here we go. In retro Christianity, you say people should not church shop. I understand the principle, but it's tough practically. The first church I visited in Dallas said it was a sin to wear jeans with holes to church. Should I have continued to go to that church? No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Uh, don't misunderstand me. I, so here's my, my position. I, generally speaking, generally speaking, it's a rule of thumb. When I move, if I move into a new, play, new area, I'm going to look for the the closest church that is generally part of my tradition. And I come from a Bible church, low church, Baptistic kind of church tradition. Um, And ideally that's where I would kind of land. And assuming they're just as imperfect as every other church that I've been to, which is probably the case, um, I'm not the best person to ask, you know, to evaluate a church um, because I tend to be overly critical, but at the same time, I totally keep that all to myself <laughs> bottle it up so but I just I have a high tolerance for imperfection some people don't um, I probably would visit a visit a few churches if I showed up there and they had a real big problem with legalism that's just a battle I don't want to fight or if they had a uh, you know other things that are totally not going to work with me and make me absolutely frustrated I wouldn't even start there what I'm primarily talking about is you get to a church you commit to it, you become a member. I'm a strong believer in church membership. That's your church family. You don't then, eh, you know, membership's not working out. I knew a guy who had three, it may have been four, three simultaneous church memberships. Hmm. Um, That's a problem. That's what I mean by church shopping. But when you first get to a place, you have to find what's going to be a a decent fit. It's not the, uh, the time to start, you know, jumping traditions or you know, trying something completely new. So I have no problem on the front end of that. Okay, yeah. Barry, the next one for you. Okay. As seminary students, should our activity and involvement in a local church take precedent over our seminary responsibilities? And if yes or no, what does that look like? That's a great question. Um, it's one that I feel like I experience on the flip side in some ways because I'm both a professor and a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, that I have responsibilities, obligations, commitments in both of these communities. Um, and there are, there are times when I find myself realizing this commitment requires things of me that by necessity involve a kind of um, uh, diminishment of my commitment in, in the other sphere. I just can't live there. Mm-hmm. I can't make that the way that I, that, 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 that I actually sometimes need to neglect the one and m- move more deeply into the other. And so it's, I mean, it's that ever elusive balance, perhaps in some sense, that um, in learning to ride a bike, you, you learn to find balance by losing it and then correcting. And I think that that's certainly 
I think was an indication of, of my experience in a lot of ways when I was going through as a student was that sense of um, was deeply connected in, in spiritual formation and, and loving what I was getting through my classes and, and mentoring from a professor, but realizing that that was actually diminishing my commitment to the local church and, and there was a need for correction. So I think we find ourselves, uh, it's a tension that doesn't easily resolve, but like most tensions in life, it's not necessarily meant to be easily resolved. It's, it's meant to be lived in and figure out how to navigate. Yes. I'm going to close with the most serious question I've asked all night. Uh-oh. What does DTS, why does DTS not incorporate free food into our ecclesiology, eschatology, <laughs> and other, every other form of ology classes? We don't live by bread alone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my response was going to be... My, yeah, my response was going to be much more um, a reflection of that inward turn. They have to pay us, uh-huh. and so they don't have the, the money to provide food for everyone. Is that what it is? Okay, everybody. so it's an explanation for why this isn't happening. Wait a second, you got paid for this? Oh. <laughs> no, to, to teach you. Oh. To teach you. All right, let's thank our, uh, our guests for... And our hope is that this has kind of been a good time to reflect on the local church, your commitment to it. Um, I, I, I dare say that one of the benefits of being involved in the local church is, is that um, when you come to seminary, you do live in a kind of theological bubble, uh, which is tight and dense at the same time. And uh, one of the things that I found valuable as a student attending church, uh, local church, was actually getting and not losing sight of what it is that most people are struggling with from day to day that's very different than the kinds of questions I was writing papers on. Uh, Not because those papers weren't relevant, but because forgetting what it means to translate theology into everyday life, which is tricky. And to, to lose that connection is to lose um, an aspect of your ability to minister long term. So uh, I think that's another benefit that comes from being involved in the local church. Let me close this in a word of prayer, and with that, we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for just the opportunity to gather together and to reflect on why it is that you call us together, what it means to be your people what it means for the Spirit to reside in us, what it means to be gifted in ways that we are able to serve one another. You don't gift us to gift us for ourselves. You gift us in order that we might be able to be part of the vessels that you use to encourage, um, to suffer, to listen, um, to hurt, and to love. Help us to do that well by your Spirit. Help us to tap into that which you have given us through your grace and be a means of grace to others so that we might reflect uh, that little bit of light that you give to us as a reflection of who you are. We ask that we may do that well, not just as individuals, but in community, so that your name may be lifted up and that people may come to appreciate the kind and gracious and rich and glorious God that you are. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. 
Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.